Hearsay, a podcast about law and legal issues for students and everyone else. Hello and welcome back to the second episode of Hearsay. I'm Robert Kaur, a lawyer and legal studies teacher, and in this episode, I'll dig into the issue of homelessness, looking at how a media campaign can lead to new criminal laws, how we have criminalised poverty and homelessness throughout history, and how the City of Melbourne is empowered to create new crimes, even if the Lord Mayor doesn't really understand that's what he's proposing. Are we returning to the old days of locking up idle persons and incorrigible rogues? But first, here are some of the legal stories making news this week. Summary Matters An Australian man named Darren Sharp made a lot more friends than he uh, hoped for and uh, possibly some interesting enemies when he used the Facebook Live video service to stream Foxtel's live broadcast of a boxing match. Um, He thought it would only be viewed by his friends but suddenly discovered 100,000 viewers around the world uh, had logged on to his Facebook profile. Normally, Foxtel charges $69 to subscribers to watch this, um, to watch these live events. And when they discovered what was happening, they called Mr. Sharp, uh, who put a video of the conversation with Foxtel on his YouTube channel. And the video shows uh, Foxtel telling him, I want you to stop streaming it on Facebook. And he replies, I don't think I can stop streaming, mate. There's people all over the world watching this. Queensland University of Technology's Professor Matthew Rimmer uh, compared this to the 1937 High Court case of Victoria Park Racing and Recreation Grounds and Taylor, in which a radio station built a viewing platform on land next door to a racetrack and called the race while looking over the fence. The High Court ruled that there is no property in a spectacle and they should have built a higher fence. Uh, But this would be a, a copyright case. Foxtel owned the rights to broadcast the boxing event uh, and Darren Sharp has seemingly infringed those rights. Uh, He's now crowdfunding for a legal defence. The Andrews government's response to the Burke Street tragedy in which a man who was out on bail and committed the very serious driving offences killing a number of people uh, has been to launch an inquiry into the bail system. that has been discussed in Victoria for probably a decade now. Uh, We had the Criminal Procedure Act and the Evidence Act updated, but the Bail Act um, has not been given a thorough overhaul for many years. And they've appointed the former Director of Public Prosecutions, Paul Coughlin, uh, to inquire into the Bail Act and present a report to Parliament on the 3rd of April. And the Premier has said uh, that you'll see us come forward almost certainly with legislative amendments following Coughlin's work. Much of the discussion uh, has been about the, the fact that the offender was on bail despite the police uh, having opposed bail uh, before a bail justice. Uh, the government has also introduced reforms uh, extending the magistrate's court for evening sittings to reduce the reliance on bail justices, uh, but it, it's likely that they'll alter the categories for applying for bail. Uh, the Uh, presumption of bail, show cause and exceptional circumstances categories uh, to make it more difficult for people to to be granted bail. The problem there is that remand is a denial of people's presumption of innocence and can be very disruptive to their lives. So if they are uh, ultimately acquitted for a crime, uh, they may have lost their employment, 
uh, they may have lost their uh, accommodation, uh, which can cause worse social problems in the long term. So it'll be a difficult challenge to reform the bail system to balance the needs to protect the community, but also to ensure that people are not unfairly prejudiced. The Commonwealth Government has abandoned a plan to compulsorily acquire farmland in Queensland uh, that they were going to use for military purposes. Uh, They were going to exercise their power under Section 5131 of the Constitution to acquire property on just terms from any person uh, for any purpose in respect of which the Parliament has power to make laws. Uh, The Commonwealth last year entered an agreement with the Singapore government to conduct war games or military training exercises in Australia, and that would require an expansion of an existing military site, Uh, and their plan was to compulsorily acquire the surrounding farmland. However, neither the Defence Minister nor the Prime Minister had mentioned land acquisitions at the time, either compulsory or voluntary, when they announced the deal in May before the federal election uh, and after the federal election when the people in the area found out they complained to their local MP and in the media and the government has backed off and will now conduct a voluntary land acquisition process. The Victorian Law Reform Commission has completed its uh, inquiry into funeral and burial instructions Uh, The VLRC conducts two types of inquiry. Major issues must be referred by the Attorney-General, but the Commission itself can inquire into relatively minor legal issues that are of general community concern. And in 2015, a woman contacted the Commission to raise her concerns about the lack of legally enforceable burial instructions, uh, which had caused serious distress and uh, disagreement within her family after a member of the family died Uh, and was not buried in accordance with their their instructions. Um, The Commission agreed to investigate the topic. It issued a discussion paper and held public consultations. Uh, It received 39 submissions and over 300 responses to an online survey. And in its final report, the VLRC said, The law on funeral and burial instructions emerged in the 19th century England when the law assumed everyone wished to have a Christian burial and cremation was disapproved. 21st century Australia has a vastly different society from 19th century England. There are diverse cultural and religious practices and complex family arrangements. And the main recommendation of the report was to allow people to leave binding funeral and burial instructions and or to appoint a funeral and burial agent, um, which would include their wishes for rituals associated with disposal of their body or their remains, um, the actual disposal itself, and any memorialisation afterwards. The report has been tabled in Parliament and will now be considered by the government before any decision is taken about changing the law. Every year, the Victoria Law Foundation uh, holds an annual law oration, a speech by a significant member of the legal community about uh, topical issues. And this year, the speech was delivered by the former Chief Justice of the High Court, uh, Robert French, uh, who discussed the importance of the separation of powers and respect for the rule of law. And there's been a little bit of media coverage uh, because he he did touch on um, Donald Trump and Donald Trump's tweets. Uh, He also talked about the role of the courts and the constitution in protecting our rights and freedoms. 
one of the areas he focused on was the importance of equality before the law. Now let's have a listen. Equality before the law is obviously important to our legal system and to the rule of law, but it's not always sufficient to ensure equal justice. A law of equal application in a formal sense can have adversely discriminatory effects on some people because of their different circumstances and attributes. And we know the well-known statement of Anatole France, the law in its majestic equality forbids the rich as well as the poor to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets and to steal bread. Impaired or unequal access to justice or compromised access to justice detracts from the strength of the rule of law as part of our societal infrastructure. That weakness has been with us for a very long time and will not be solved in the short or medium term. But it must continue to be addressed in a practical and material way by all those involved in the justice system in this country. And that, and particularly the, the famous quote about the fairness or unfairness of a law that disproportionately impacts on the poor or the homeless, uh, brings us to our main topic for this episode. Examination in Chief. You might have noticed in the last few months that there has been a, a focus in the news media on uh, homelessness. And the background to that is that there has been a significant increase in homelessness in Victoria in recent years. Uh, according to government figures, there are almost 7,400 homeless people around Victoria. Uh, and in the city of Melbourne, where they conduct a biannual census, they have volunteers who uh, go around the city on a, on, a, uh, on a single day and count how many people are sleeping rough, which is uh, people who, who are sleeping on the streets, uh, which is the, the, um, in some ways the most vulnerable form of ho- homelessness. In 2014, the city of Melbourne counted 142 homeless people. And last year, 2016, they counted 247. So a 74% increase in the homeless population of the city uh, in the space of two years. Now, part of that is to do with visibility. Um, The city interviews people as part of that census census process, and they've said that... um, uh, they find it dangerous sleeping on the streets, so they often find it safer to sleep uh, with other homeless people, and they prefer to sleep in visible areas. And the growth of uh, housing and business in the city area means that places that were once kind of quiet and out of the way are now busy, and the out-of-the-way places that people used to sleep in no longer exist. The Australian Human Rights Commission considers homelessness to be an important human rights issue because the right to housing is itself uh, an important human right, but it also impacts on other rights in significant ways. So it's, for example, difficult to maintain the right to health while living on the streets, to personal safety, privacy, uh, to maintain an education or to find work. Uh, It can even impact on the right to vote as it's very hard to maintain a current electoral enrolment if you don't have uh, a, a permanent address uh, where you can be contacted to update your information. Um, so homelessness is significant not only in itself but because it leads to all of these other difficulties for people's rights. The UN um, Special Reporter on Adequate Housing as a component of the right to an adequate standard of living is a, a special investigator 
working for the UN, uh, who visits different countries around the world, observes, speaks to community organizations, speaks to governments, and then reports back to the United Nations and to those governments about how they are complying with their international human rights obligations. And in 2006, the UN reporter on homelessness uh, visited Australia and published a report the following year, 2007, and came to the conclusion that Australia has failed to implement the human right to adequate housing. Uh, His report said that the reporter encourages the government to make housing a national priority using a comprehensive and coordinated national housing policy based on a human rights approach with the primary task of meeting the needs of the most vulnerable groups. And also said that laws that criminalise poverty and homelessness and those currently disproportionately impacting upon homeless people, such as begging laws, public drinking laws and public space laws, should be revised and amended to ensure that human fundamental human rights are protected. So is this why homelessness is back in the news? Has the government uh, decided to implement the uh, recommendations from the United Nations about this human rights issue? Unfortunately not. Much of the news coverage has been driven by the Herald Sun tabloid newspaper, uh, and it's been a very negative campaign, uh, using language such as uh, saying that the homeless are turning parts of the world's most livable city into a third world cesspit, uh, calling it a national embarrassment, and saying that it make, it's making the world's most livable city look trashy. Um, the Herald Sun has run this campaign. Uh, at times uh, without giving accurate information. So, for example, there was a, a, an article headlined uh, Melbourne Homeless, Half of People Sleeping on the Streets, Not Genuine Homeless, Says Salvation Army. And so there was this article claiming that up to half of people sleeping rough in the city are not genuinely homeless. Uh, there were three journalists on the byline, but apparently they couldn't find one fake homeless person to illustrate the story because when you look at the photographs, there are about 10 or 12 homeless people included in the photographs, and all of the captions uh, talk about how they were genuinely homeless. So Selena and Mark are considered genuinely homeless, the person photographed is considered genuinely homeless, and Olive is considered genuinely homeless. Now, uh, it seems to me that 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 genuinely homeless tag was included on the advice of their media lawyer, uh, perhaps concerned that they would be unsuccessful if any defamation action was brought, if they photographed these people and implied that they were not genuinely homeless. So you might wonder why are they, why were they so concerned about the inaccuracy of their story? Um, and the, the reason is that they quote Brendan Nottle of the Salvation Army, but none of the direct quotes in the article repeat the headline and that leading sentences claim that half of homeless people were not genuine. And the following week, the Herald Sun Uh, ran an opinion column by Major Nottle of the Salvation Army in his own words. And he said, I know they exist, but they are a small minority and shouldn't affect our passion to find solutions for the many who are doing it incredibly tough. So that's a long way short of 50%. And it really seemed that the coverage was really driven by distaste at the fact that there are homeless people and and that uh, other citizens would have to see homeless people in the streets. Uh, There was a a column by Christopher Bantic, who occasionally writes for the Herald Sun, uh, who claimed that homeless people are mocking Melbourne. 
I am over the homeless in Melbourne. I am tired of hearing the excuses. He said they trash the city pavements. They're a blight and concluded that if we had animals living as the homeless do, the RSPCA would act. So that gives you a flavour of the, uh, the campaign, really, that the Herald Sun has been running uh, to pressure the state government, but, but also the city of Melbourne, to take some action to clean up the city, as they put it. And they do mean clean up in the sense of maintaining the, the visual uh, aspects of the city, that, that, that this is a, a, something that's on show for visitors to the city um, and that homeless people are something that we shouldn't have to look at. Now, there's always been a class aspect to the issue of homelessness and to the law about homelessness. It's one part of what the law used to call vagrancy. And a vagrant is a person without a settled home or regular work who wanders from place to place and lives by begging. And the first law relating to vagrancy dates to 1389 and was a response to labour market conditions following the Black Plague. Uh, A labour shortage gave people an opportunity to demand higher wages, uh, but this depended on their ability to move to other areas or into the towns and cities in seek of that better pay, and landowners needed a law to prevent that migration of farm labourers. By the 1500s, when there wasn't enough work to go around, vagrancy laws were instead used to control the growing numbers who were hopelessly unemployed. Paul Okerbock's survey of the history of vagrancy notes that while poor migrants begged for survival, civil and ecclesiastical authorities worried about disorder and the subversive potential of the poor. And early vagrancy laws involved forced repatriation of people to their home parishes, uh, forced labour, Uh, or impressment into the military, so those who couldn't find work were required to fight in the army. And over time, the concept of vagrancy expanded to cover more or less anything the desperately poor might do to make a living, or anything that they might do to entertain themselves. In Victoria, the first vagrancy law was passed in the colony in 1852, and it created over 100 separate crimes that were considered forms of vagrancy. And offenders were divided into various categories. So the first category, um, these people were deemed idle and disorderly persons, and it was people who had no visible means of support. So essentially somebody who was poor and couldn't show how, that they, how they could support themselves. It included people who associated with Aboriginal people. So if you spent the night at an Aboriginal friend's house, uh, you might be considered to be a vagrant and arrested. Uh, it included associating with reputed thieves, Um, Not necessarily convicted thieves, but people who the police believed were thieves. It included begging or gathering alms. And people in those categories faced one year imprisonment. The next category were deemed rogues and vagabonds. And it included uh, people who had uh, been convicted twice of being in that that lower category. But it also included gamblers, pornographers, uh, things like that. Uh, They faced two years imprisonment. And the most, more serious category of incorrigible rogues uh, was people who had been twice convicted as a rogue and a vagabond, or escapees from prison, some violent offenders, those sorts of things. And they faced three years. Um, there were some other offences included in the, va- in the Vagrancy Act, including singing a, an obscene song or ballad. So any person who shall sing any obscene song or ballad or use any profane, indecent, or obscene language in any public street, thoroughfare, or place 
faced a £10 fine. In 1966, Victoria uh, reviewed and updated the Vagrancy Act. So we now have the Vagrancy Act 1966. And those labels were gone, but the, the, the divisions still existed in the Act. Um, many of the provisions remained in place, but there were some changes. So, for example, by 1966, associating with an Aboriginal person was no longer a crime. Uh, they had in Section 13, any person who pretends or professes to tell fortunes or uses any subtle craft, means or device by palmistry or otherwise to defraud or impose on any other person or pretends to exercise or use any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment or conjuration or pretends from his skill or knowledge in any occult or crafty science to discover where or in what manner any goods or chattels stolen or lost may be found shall be guilty of an offence. Um, so witchcraft was a form of vagrancy. Uh, it also maintained the earlier consorting offences, which are based on guilt by association. So hanging around with people that the authorities didn't like, uh, criminals or, or reputed criminals, reputed thieves, reputed prostitutes. So based on the police's opinions about somebody's reputation rather than based on actual criminal records. In 2003, following an inquiry by Parliament, the government repealed the Vagrancy Act, so it would no longer be a crime to be homeless or to be poor, and, or in the language of the Vagrancy Act, to be without lawful means of support or insufficient lawful means of support. Uh, but some provisions were transferred into the Summary Offences Act. For instance, it is still illegal to beg for money. Section 49 of the Summary Offences Act is about the offence of interfering with homing pigeons, and section 49A uh, says, a person must not beg or gather arms. Penalty, 12 months imprisonment. So, begging remains a crime in Victoria. And at the time, in 2003, uh, there was a suggestion that that begging offence was maintained by the government because of the upcoming Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in 2006. And there are echoes of that kind of sentiment in the current debate about how to address homelessness. So Christopher Bantic again said, It is an appalling advertisement for tourists and especially those attending the Australian Open. And Rita Panahi, one of the more prominent Herald Sun columnists, wrote, Can you imagine paying an exorbitant amount to come to Melbourne during the Australian Open and being confronted by hostile beggars and piles of filthy bedding on the sidewalk? So there's this attitude that um, wealthy people, wealthy tourists bringing money, spending money in the city shouldn't have to see people without money living their lives. This brings me back to the remarks of the Honourable Robert French, um, quoting Anatole France, the law in its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike to beg in the streets. So often what these begging laws, what these public space laws do is criminalise things that are perfectly legal if they're done in someone's home, but are illegal if done in a public place. And you can understand why that is a, a difficulty facing homeless people, um, because they don't have that private space in which to do uh, these activities that other people are free to enjoy. So for instance, I mentioned the Vagrancy Act included a provision criminalising singing a bawdy or uh, offensive song, um, and that remains in the Summary Offences Act. There's a two-month uh, term of imprisonment for the first 
rude song that you sing in a public place uh, with increasing maximum penalties for every subsequent song that you sing. Um, it's also illegal under Section 8 of the Summary Offences Act uh, to be drunk in public. It says, any person found drunk in a public place shall be guilty of an offence uh, with a maximum penalty of eight penalty units, which is the equivalent to uh, just over $1,200. Now, this is not an offence that relates to behaving in a way that interferes with other people. So being, being drunk and disorderly is a separate offence. So being drunk and interfering with other people or disturbing the peace is a separate offence. Victoria is the only state in which simply being found drunk in a public place is a crime. So um, there's concern then about selective enforcement of that law. So people who are drunk and walking between two venues, maybe someone who leaves a pub, walks to a nightclub, uh, someone who's drunk at a picnic, uh, they're not charged by the police for being drunk in public. Um, and a public place is defined in the Summary Offences Act to include public vehicles plying for hire. So when you see the government encouraging people to catch a taxi home if they're too drunk to drive, they're actually encouraging people to commit a crime by being drunk in a public place. But the law is not used against those people. It's selectively enforced, and it's people whose home is on the street who are more likely to be criminalised by the Summary Offences Act. A lot of other activities that take place in public areas are actually regulated at the local government level. So, for example, the city of Greater Geelong uh, has a neighbourhood amenity local law that uh, bans camping, which they define as um, including the occupation of a vehicle for sleeping all or part of a night or as temporary accommodation, but excludes brief power napping in a vehicle beside a highway for one hour or less uh, with a fine of $2,300. Uh, the city of Stonington and the city of Melbourne also make it illegal to sleep in a vehicle. Uh, the Mornington Peninsula Shire Council has a general purposes local law that makes it illegal to sleep with a sleeping bag in a public place and also allows the council to confiscate goods that are left unattended in a public place and destroy them if a fee is not paid within two weeks. Now, this makes it difficult for homeless people, firstly, um, not even to be allowed uh, the benefit of a sleeping bag, uh, but also making it difficult for people to attend meetings with, uh, with social services without worrying that their possessions um, will be gone when they get back. Now, the City of Melbourne is considering adopting rules that are similar to those in Mornington. Uh, so let's have a look at exactly what is going on. So let's listen first to the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Robert Doyle, uh, on Channel 10's The Project this week, um, as he really struggles to explain what the council has planned. Lord Mayor, you've said that it's not illegal to be homeless, but it will now be illegal to sleep on the streets of the CBD. Not quite. Uh, it is not illegal to be homeless, but we can't have these large encampments of bedding, tents, suitcases, backpacks, milk crates, office furniture, taking up whole parts of the footpath. So not a crime, but it is a local bylaw to allow us to remove those obstructions and impediments from the footpaths of Melbourne. So forget the illegality. It's not illegal. But, but, you're, but you are proposing to have, find them, and, and can you imagine? Hang on, can you imagine this? No, well, we may or we may not. But the first, the first call is always to say, please move. 
we believe this is not punitive. It doesn't criminalise people. It doesn't demonise people. It doesn't outlaw them. It offers help where it is available to them, and we will do that. I'm getting confused. I need to know just definitely, will you be fining these people if they refuse to move on, or will you not? This might help clear it up for me. Well, I'm, I'm happy to clear it up for you. The answer is we first approach people and say to them, here's what we'd like you to do. Here is the help that we can offer you, including housing. But if they don't do that, we come back and we say, if you don't, if you don't move, we're going to have to confiscate your things because you can't simply set up camp here on the street. If they don't move, then we can take those things away. Yep. I don't want to find people. No, no, but you have a, this is courts. why it's confusing. Because it should be a simple answer. They need. Will you find them if they refuse to move on? Yes or no? Well, that's a silly, that's a silly question. The whole <laughs> complexity of homelessness is not about yes or no answers. But and, and I'm sorry, it is a very, very complex issue. So the answer is, in our initial engagements with people, everything is about the help we can offer them. Yes, I, I understand that. In and the, I appreciate in the middle that, stages, and I think we say to them, fantastic. if you don't move on... But I'm not asking you about your initial engagements. Yeah. I'm asking them, if they refuse that help, then will you find them? In the end, there are provisions for people to be fined and that indeed arrested. That was all arrested. I was asking. Thank you. But I don't want to go there. Well, no, it wasn't all you were asking. You were asking a very simplistic question to a very complex problem. So there are a few problems with this. Um, firstly, Lord Mayor Doyle is wrong to say that the proposed local law does not make anything illegal, that it's not about illegality. Uh, it does. He's wrong to say that it only allows the council to remove large camps from footpaths. It's much broader than that. He's wrong to say that it doesn't criminalise people. It does. And he's wrong to say uh, that it's not a summary offence. It is a summary offence. So what is actually happening? Let's start first with where does the City of Melbourne's power come from uh, to make these local laws? And the Victorian Constitution... Uh, in section 74A, uh, provides local government is a distinct and essential tier of government consisting of democratically elected councils having the functions and powers that the parliament considers are necessary to ensure the peace, order and good government of each municipal district. And parliament has passed a local government act, the Local Government Act 1989, um, in order to create those local councils and to give them the, the powers and functions that, that the Constitution uh, envisages. And Section 111 uh, of the Local Government Act says, a council may, may make local laws for or with respect to any act, matter or thing in respect of which the council has a function or power under this or any other act, uh, which includes any other function relating to the peace, order and good government of the municipal district. So it's virtually unlimited in scope. It's very, uh, the language of um, relating to peace, order and good government is the same power that the state government has under the constitution, for example, to pass laws. So they have a, a, a very wide scope, um, so long as they don't conflict with Commonwealth or, or state laws. So the city of Melbourne has passed uh, an activities local law, 2008, um, which covers a whole range of activities that take place within the city. Um, and at a meeting on the 7th of February this year, in response really to um, the, the, the campaign in the Herald Sun in particular, they passed uh, an amendment to the activities local law in principle 
which makes a couple of changes to the local law. Um, one is that under the existing law, uh, the council's objective was to protect the use of public places and control activities in or near them. And the amendment will insert the word amenity. So it will give the, the council the objective of protecting the amenity of uh, public places in the local government area. And amenity has a legal meaning. Um, and the Butterworth's Concise Australian Legal Dictionary defines amenity as the features and advantages of a locality or neighbourhood which it is considered desirable to preserve, such as beauty or tranquility. So again, you can see that this is the, that, that Herald Sun attitude of um, maintaining the appearance of the city, um, not necessarily to address the underlying social problems, but to protect the beauty and tranquility of the city. One of the main changes that's being made is to change the definition of camping. So under the existing law, uh, it provides that unless in accordance with a permit, a person must not camp in or on any public place in a vehicle, tent, caravan, or any type of permanent or provisional form of accommodation. Um, the, the proposal is to delete everything in that uh, after public place. So all of the the vehicle, tent, caravan, or temporary or provisional form of accommodation would be removed. So it would simply be an offence for someone to camp in a public place. And the council has said that they don't intend to define what camping means. Uh, they're going to leave that up to um, their enforcement officers to determine whether they think someone is camping or sleeping. Um, and that has led to a little bit of concern about, uh, again, selective enforcement. Um, the concern that it may lead homeless people to avoid protecting themselves from the elements because they don't want to be crossing some sort of line and becoming a camper who is now subject to a penalty. The council also wants to introduce a new clause or new clauses that provide that unless in accordance with the permit, a person must not leave any item unattended in a public place. If any item is left unattended in contravention of this local law, an authorised officer may confiscate and impound the, the item. The council must take reasonable steps to notice, notify the owner. If the owner of the item has not paid any fee or charge required for its release within 14 days, the council may sell, destroy or give away the item. So as I said, this is adopting the Mornington Peninsula Council's rule on confiscation of belongings, um, which again puts uh, homeless people in um, a vulnerable position as obviously the possessions that they have with them on the street are their only possessions. That's the only place that they have to store possessions. So that if they do need to leave them unattended and perhaps to go and see social worker, job application, housing application, that they risk the council confiscating those goods and charging them a fee in order to retrieve them. Now, section 115, subsection 1A of the Local Government Act provides that a local law may prescribe a penalty not exceeding 20 penalty units for a con contravention of a local law. So one penalty unit in Victoria at the moment uh, is $155.46, and that increases every year in line with inflation. But at, at $155.46, that means the maximum penalty a local law can impose uh, is $3,109.20 fine. And the penalty that the Melbourne Council proposes for camping 
or for leaving items unattended has been set at the maximum allowable 20 penalty units, so a fine of over $3,100. And just to be clear on this, contrary to what the Lord Mayor Robert Doyle said, this is a, a criminal issue. This is a summary offence. The Sentencing Act provides that any offence under a local law described as being level 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 or 6 is an indictable offence. Now that doesn't apply here, but it goes on to say any other offence under a local law is, unless the contrary intention appears, a summary offence. So a local law uh, does create a summary offence. You can be arrested for a summary offence. You can have a criminal conviction recorded for a summary offence. So this is a question of criminalising, perhaps not homelessness by definition, but certainly behaviour that is um, likely to be engaged in by homeless people by virtue of their being homeless. Now, the council um, has set that penalty of over $3,100 if a matter goes to court, but local councils also, uh, under the Local Government Act, uh, are allowed to provide for a person to be served with an infringement notice specifying a fixed penalty for an offence against the local law as an alternative to prosecution for the offence. So um, the infringement penalty was set at 2.5 units or $388.65. Now, I think this is where uh, Robert Doyle was confused about what the council is doing because they have set this infringement penalty. And if somebody does pay the infringement, so they get a ticket, um, it's a ticket, it's $380 and they just pay the $380, and then they won't be prosecuted for the offence on the ticket. And this is what the Infringements Act calls expiation. So it's the idea that you pay an administrative fee, and if you do that, then it's not treated as a criminal prosecution. Um, it's all just dealt with uh, administratively, and the whole thing goes away. Now, there's a couple of, of problems there um, for homeless people or for vulnerable people generally. The first is... Not everybody has $380 spare that they can actually just pay a ticket within uh, the time limit. Um, and so that they may end up being taken to court anyway. Uh, they may end up with late penalty fees uh, that they don't pay and that the problem kind of spirals from there. The second thing is it's a fixed penalty. So if you're charged with a, a summary offence and you go to court, plead guilty, uh, you can have a conversation with a magistrate uh, about what is an appropriate penalty? You give them information about your personal circumstances and they can tailor a fine. If there is a monetary penalty, they can tailor a fine to your individual circumstances. Now, if you want to avoid the criminal process and you don't want to be uh, going into court, um, you don't want to have the risk of that criminal conviction, you have to pay the $380. There's no negotiation. There's no taking into account people's individual financial circumstances. It's a fixed penalty infringement notice. So the result there is that local government infringements for most people, for most people who can find the money, borrow the money, you know, they have access to those resources. It, it is, it's a non-criminal issue. They pay a ticket, um, you know, a parking ticket, for example, you park somewhere where you shouldn't, you get an infringement notice, you pay the infringement notice and it's, it's all over and done with. But if you're a homeless person or you otherwise can't afford that money, you will end up in court and it is treated as a criminal matter and you may end up with a criminal conviction at the end of that process. And ultimately, it can lead to imprisonment. 
because both the Infringements Act and the Sentencing Act say that non-payment of infringement penalties or a fines may result in imprisonment for one day per penalty unit, up to a maximum of two years. So it is possible to be imprisoned for camping, however the council decides to define that, or for leaving your property unattended. It is possible for someone who doesn't have the money to pay for an infringement notice uh, that they may end up being imprisoned in the alternative. And this issue of unpaid infringement notices is a problem that has been identified within the criminal justice system. The Monash University Criminal Justice Research Consortium uh, conducted a study of the impact of unpaid infringement notices on disadvantaged groups, uh, and they put forward their proposals for you know, a better way of, of doing this. But they, they identified that offences that involve subjective judgments or standards of reasonableness increase the possibility that disadvantaged people will be drawn into the criminal justice system for conduct that would not withstand judicial scrutiny. So this raises the, the question of what does Melbourne City Council mean by camping? Because Robert Doyle said that what he saw the law applying to was large encampments of bedding, tents, suitcases, backpacks, milk crates, office furniture, taking up large swathes of the footpath. Now, the old definition uh, that's in the existing um, activities local law already bans people from setting up temporary accommodation, including tents, um, and that's being proposed to be removed from uh, the definition. So it's not clear why, if the power already exists to remove camps that involve tents, um, why this change needs to be made. And the council has said that they would consider each um, situation on a case-by-case basis, so they didn't want to provide a strict definition of camping um, in the local law. Now, that leads to that problem of um, selective enforcement. Um, lawyers who have looked at the, um, the way that the local law is drafted say that it could actually prevent people from using a swag or blankets. And those lawyers say that effectively what this is doing is um, criminalising um, homelessness per se. So um, homeless people don't sleep without backpacks, for example, backpacks, um, suitcases. They have their possessions with them. Um, they do sleep with bedding because they do need to protect themselves, particularly in winter. And if that is how the council is defining this new offence, then effectively they are criminalising homelessness. And a big concern is that even if the, this new definition is given a narrower interpretation, um, because people are given an infringement notice and they're told, pay the $380, you don't have to go to court, that a lot of people will want to avoid that interaction with the criminal justice system. They don't want to risk um, being given uh, a criminal record for this behaviour. So they'll simply pay that infringement rather than questioning the interpretation given by the council officer who issues the ticket in the first place. So what you do is you transfer responsibility for finding people's guilt or innocence from the courts and give it to council officers who are, are trying to clean up the streets of Melbourne, perhaps because there's an international sporting event coming along. 
Another issue uh, surrounding these infringement debts is that they're already identified as being a significant problem for homeless people. In 2012, the Homeless Persons Law Centre, a community legal centre, reported that they had uh, done work for over 5,000 homeless clients uh, at that point, and that over 50% of their work uh, involved infringement matters. Um, there's also a link between homelessness and imprisonment. So Justice Connect data from its Debt and Tenancy Legal Help for Prisoners project uh, found that 35% of prisoners are homeless prior to entry into prison, and upon release, the rate of homelessness increases to 43%. And ex-prisoners are more than twice as likely to return to prison within nine months of release if they're homeless. And a large part of that is because of uh, their debts. So if somebody does commit an offence and they are imprisoned, um, they don't have an opportunity to repay any outstanding debts, including um, potentially um, significant infringement debts. Um, so uh, it contributes to this cycle of poverty and the, the revolving door, as Justice Connect describes it, between uh, homelessness and interaction with the criminal justice system. So it's important to remember that these changes have not yet uh, come into force. Uh, there has been some media coverage saying that the amendment has been made. Um, in fact, the council has agreed to the amendment in principle. Now, the Local Government Act requires in section 119 that before making a local law, council must publicise the proposed local law and give any person who may be affected by it an opportunity to make a submission. And that consultation period must be for at least 28 days after it's advertised and also includes the right to speak at a meeting of the council or if there's a relevant committee of the council. Um, and the council will then, the council staff will then take into account those um, submissions that are made and they'll make a final recommendation for a further uh, final decision of the council. And so that's where we are. The council has said that um, the public notice would be released on the 16th of February and members of the public will be provided with at least 28 days notice to make written submissions and they have a submissions committee uh, in the Melbourne City Council which will consider those submissions and make a recommendation to the council on whether it should make changes to the local law. Um, a further management report will then be prepared for the council to, to consider. So there's still at least another month before any changes come into effect. Um, so there is an opportunity um, for interested people to present their views to council about whether they think these local laws are a good idea or whether they make a, a desperate situation for many people worse. Address and reply. So if you'd like to uh, get in touch with me uh, about this episode. If you have views about the law and homelessness or if you have questions about uh, how any of this works, perhaps if you make a submission to the Melbourne City Council about whether these laws are a good idea, um, you can reach me on Twitter at, at hearsaycast on Twitter, uh, by email robert at hearsaypodcast.com. Um, and I'd like to hear your voice. I'd like to include messages from listeners in future episodes. Uh, so if you visit the website, it's hearsaypodcast.com, click leave a voice message and follow the instructions. Um, I hope to hear from you soon. Learned Friend. My recommendation this episode is a new legal drama on ABC TV called Newton's Law. 
Uh, it started last week, and I think the second episode uh, will be coming out the same day as this episode of the podcast, um, and it is available on iview. Um, it stars Claudia Carvan as Josephine Newton, a suburban solicitor who returns to the bar but maintains uh, her solicitor's practice, um, which does raise uh, a concern uh, under the Victorian Bar Constitution, Clause 9.1a. It is a condition of remaining on the bar roll and thus remaining a member of the association that counsel shall, whether in the state of Victoria or elsewhere, not practice otherwise than as a barrister and not practice as a solicitor or a barrister and solicitor. So I, I'm, look, I'm going to assume that episode two clears up the mystery of how she's going to maintain both her barrister and solicitor practices. Um, but in general, I think it's a, a more realistic portrayal of the Australian courts than some legal dramas, certainly than, uh, than American um, legal shows are, but also um, recently most of the uh, Australian legal dramas have either been um, over-the-top comedies or kind of soap opera style shows, and this seems to be a little bit more of an even keel. Um, the courtroom scenes in the first episode uh, were a lot more plausible. So if you're interested in a legal show and you want something that's not too grim and gritty, uh, I'd give uh, Newton's Law a go. Adjournment. Well, that brings us to the end of the second episode of Hearsay, and I'll leave you now with a humorous story from the past week, and that relates to the Hutt River Principality in Western Australia. In 1970, a farmer named Leonard Casely objected to the government's regulation of wheat exports. They imposed quotas on farmers, so they limited the quantity of wheat that farmers could export. And uh, he declared that his farm was seceding from Australia, so he denied um, the legal authority of Australia and established a constitution uh, describing his farm as the Principality of Hutt River and declaring himself uh, Prince uh, Leonard. he printed his own stamps, he issues passports, I think you can buy knighthoods. Um, it's a bit of a tourist trap now, I suppose. Um, but he's basically been trying to avoid paying taxes ever since that dispute arose in the 1970s. And at the age of 91, Prince Leonard has abdicated the throne and uh, has named his youngest son Graham as his successor. And it seems Graham intends to continue the principality He says he wants to attract 2,000 migrants to come and live in Hutt River uh, within the next five years. And no doubt Prince Leonard's age and health were factors in that decision to abdicate, but the Australian Tax Office might also have something to do with it. They filed a claim in the WA Supreme Court for $2.6 million in unpaid taxes, interest and penalties, and a writ was issued in December. So shortly after that, Prince Leonard announced his intention to abdicate. So it might be a difficult transition period under Prince Graham. See you next time. If you have comments, questions or suggestions for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. There are a few ways you can reach me. Leave a comment on the website, send me an email at robert at hearsaypodcast.com Say hi to at hearsaycast on Twitter 
or you can also leave a voice message on the website. That's hearsaypodcast.com.